The Bible reading today is from John chapter 4, starting at verse 1, and it's on page 862 in the Red Pew Bibles. So it's John chapter 4, and it's verse 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and, would have given you, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Friends, I had a, a fight, a fight, a terrible fight with a woman this week. She was my dermatologist, so therefore I have bruises all over my face, so you don't need to ask me afterwards. Um, but uh, we are thinking through uh, Jesus through the eyes of women. Uh, this is our second talk in the series. In the evening, we'll begin uh, tonight with the first talk. And thinking about women, I was in the uh, Downing Centre local court in Liverpool Street a number of years ago. I was not in trouble. I was simply waiting to give testimony. And um, it's a scary and eerie place sitting in the court waiting. Some people look angry. Some look frightened, some look lost, others wept. 
And then I, uh, I met this woman who was quite chatty and talkative, and I'm trying to mind my own business and uh, read a Bible or a book or something, and she came over and she, she shared her life, many hurts, divorced, abused alcohol, she said she committed serious crimes, um, didn't know whether she would get off, she hoped for the leniency of the courts so she could go overseas to bring back her kids from a husband who had taken the kids overseas. It was a mess. And she said, oh, I, I used to go to church, or I go to church sometimes, and I read my Bible, and I like the Psalms. It was a confused mess, or she was a confused mess. And I just thought how desperate need she was to know Jesus, the one who brings ultimate satisfaction. And then I was in Sutherland Court. I often don't go to court, but, you know, it's amazing what happens when you go to court. And I, I escorted a fellow up the street. He wanted me to to drive him there, um, and he found out I was Greek, and he was Greek. Uh, he called me his angel. <laughs> and so when I was in court, we were waiting outside uh, for his timing to go in, and there was another woman there, another Greek woman, and he said, oh, come and meet him. He's, he's my angel. He's been looking after me and taking me to court and caring for me, and I started speaking to this woman, and again, needy, lost, without friends, spiritually hungry. And with her, I had a chance to share Jesus with her. Tell her the truth that there was a God who loved her, a God who could change her life, a God who could bring meaning to her, a God who was Messiah, Savior, Lord. And her face lit up. At the end of it, she said, am I allowed to come to your church? Am I allowed? I said, everyone's allowed. It's a free place. So we, everyone is welcome, no matter who you are, where you've been. Where is it, she says? Do you think Jesus would forgive me? Desperate in need of a saviour. The critic James Hunnicker wrote, Life is like an onion. You peel off layer after layer and you find there is nothing in it. Well, nothing except tears, perhaps. And for some people, that's what life is like. And I think the woman in Samaria, the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4, would have agreed with that sentiment. She was looking for happiness but she never found it. She looked for it in relationships, but she was constantly disappointed. She thought maybe it would get better next time, the next husband, the next person, but it never did. Friends, there are many like her today, feeling broken and empty, searching for happiness, but only discovering emptiness and tears. And in John chapter 4, we have an encounter with this revolutionary Jesus, who meets a woman, lost, empty, broken, and in one conversation with her, sees her life transformed. Her emptiness into a sparkling fountain of satisfaction and joy. The Bible tells us in verse 4 that Jesus was on a mission from God. John says he had to go through Samaria. Well, in fact, he didn't have to. So many people would go through Samaria, that was the short route from the south to the north. But many Jews, religious Jews, would avoid that area. You didn't want to hang out with the Samaritans. You didn't want to pass through their land. You would normally go across the Jordan and back up. But when the Gospel writer says Jesus had to go through Samaria, that's often a hint. He had to go through Samaria because, you see, in God's sovereign plan and purpose, there was a woman there that Jesus had to meet. 
There is a divine appointment, we might say, between Jesus and this woman. He had to go through Samaria. As let me say, we are not gathered by accident here today. If you're watching on live stream, great, glad to have you, but you are not watching by accident either. God knows you. He knows your hurts, he knows your, your joys, he wants to meet you where you are, he wants to fill you, he wants to nourish you with spiritual water. He had to go through there and he engages in a forbidden conversation. When a Samaritan woman came to draw Jesus, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. This woman would be absolutely stunned and perplexed sitting there alone, drawing water, that this man, a Jewish man, would speak to her. It's not just, oh, well, why are you speaking to me? No, no. What in the world are you doing speaking to someone like me? We don't talk. Men do not talk to women in our culture. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus clearly ignored two deeply embedded social conventions of his day and entered into a forbidden conversation. And first of all, let's be clear here, he was ignoring the hatred and not just dislike, hatred which kept Jews and Samaritans in mutually exclusive communities. John put it, they do not associate with Samaritans. There's a history there. You see, when the northern kingdom of Israel, go back to the Old Testament, when they were captured by Assyria in 722, and all the good and capable people were taken out into exile, they left the rest behind, and they sent foreigners in who intermarried with the northern part of the people of God. And then the Jews later, when the south went into exile, into Babylon, when they returned, they saw themselves as the pure Jews, the true Jews, and those Samaritans were, were, in a sense, not true Jews any longer. And those Samaritans, in 400 BC, built another temple, a rival temple on Mount Gerizim, toward the end of the second century that was destroyed. There were religious and theological animosities between them. Jesus asks for a drink. He takes that step to build a relationship with someone he wouldn't be expected to talk to. But secondly, he was ignoring the popular opinion which disapproved of any respectable Middle Eastern man having a private conversation with a woman in public. Uh, one rabbi put it this way, no one should talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with someone else's wife, because of the gossip of men. It is forbidden, another person said, it is forbidden to give a woman any greeting. When we consider Jesus through the eyes of women, you have to understand first century context. And he is speaking now with a woman who is on her own, who is clearly publicly despised and ostracized, who chooses to draw water in the middle of the day rather than the morning. Just in the heat of the day, so she doesn't have to meet the other women who would look down upon her. Jesus enters into forbidden conversations. Friends, there's a significant lesson for us here. Jesus is not bothered by who you are or what the world thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your family thinks of you, your workmates think of you, 
Whether you're unemployed or divorced or unmarried parents or you're working class or you're not brilliant or you're not thin and pretty, you're not fit and sporty, you don't have 5,000 Instagram followers, you don't play for the Matildas, you're no influencer, or maybe simply because you're a woman. It doesn't matter how others look down upon you, God loves you, God sees you as valuable and he wants a relationship with you. doesn't matter who you are, Jesus is interested in you. I still remember a young woman and her husband that I met a number of years ago. I was invited to speak at a church in the eastern suburbs and then I spoke at a weekend retreat for them at a camp. And this young couple came up to me and told, and told me their story. And I said, you know, I, I was homeless. I was living on the streets in the Darlinghurst King's Cross area. She said I was selling my body for money. But there was a Christian minister in the middle of King's Cross and we were drawn to that. We met Christians who told us about Jesus, who loved us and cared for us. We started to see that we could have value and, and significance in our lives. We, we didn't have any. They came to Christ. And they told me with joy that having come to Christ and they joined this church, and the, the elders of the church helped them to get married and organized it. And it said the, the church was so loving to us that they hosted our wedding and our reception that they, the church members all paid for in the backyard of one of their homes. Taken by Jesus, shown value and transformed. Friends, Jesus offers living water. He goes on in this conversation with this woman. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In his love for people, Jesus moves from small talk to the spiritual emptiness in the woman's life. She has to admit this emptiness before she can find life. And Jesus moves her. Yet, how does this woman see Jesus at this stage? One of the things we're thinking about, Jesus through the eyes of women, at women at this stage she does not yet perceive jesus glory he's still simply a weary and thirsty jewish traveler she's thinking about water in a physical sense she has, doesn't get it yet don carson says this living water the water is a satisfying eternal life mediated by the spirit that only jesus the messiah and savior of the world can provide it's a quality of life and you experience when you admit your need of Jesus. This woman doesn't quite get who Jesus is yet. Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters that you may live. Friends, when you meet Jesus and you taste that living water, it brings a newness of life. She doesn't see it yet. And let me say, you don't come to God until you perceive his glory. Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician, physicist, philosopher, inventor, and Catholic writer from the 1600s, put it this way. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each person 
which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. Friends, you've got to, in a sense, come to the point you think, I have everything, but I still don't have enough. The number of people said that to me. I was successful, I had this and this, and, and yet there is a gnawing challenge in my heart. There's got to be more than this. Now, as, as a football fan, I've been watching the Matildas, and it's been a good month. But there's got to be something more than football. Even a gold medal, the English or the Spanish, there's got to be something more than that for ultimate meaning. Let me tell you about another woman, Tracy Blackburn. At a relatively young age, she was successful. She had joy. She drove a BMW. She wore the most stylish clothes, lived the lifestyle of a jet setter. Her story is told in the book, Descending into Greatness. As a high-ranking executive with a leading investment company, she had the world at her fingertips. She says, I couldn't fathom life without all these wonderful, glorious perks. She had power, she had respect, the precise addictions she felt she needed, or so she thought. That was before her blood pressure and weight soared. Her power and health slipped away. The American dream, as she had experienced it, began to be exceedingly costly. The pace, the pressure, the competition began to outrank the glorious perks. Her doctor told her to change her lifestyle immediately. That day she quit her job and she prayed to a God she was not sure was there. It was a plea for help. Could she find joy now? Friends, there is a God-shaped vacuum in us that only God can fill. And people are filling it with all types of things and, dare I say, go to their deaths unprepared for eternity. This woman, Tracy Blackburn, had watched the American dream disintegrate in a mixture of exhaustion and pain. She would no longer count on her bank book for personal worth. What else was there? Desperate. And she found that life in Christ. Jesus said, people who are healthy do not need a doctor, only those who are sick. If you don't think there's anything wrong with you, you don't go to a doctor. When you realize there's something wrong with you, you come to Jesus. And Jesus now moves on and he exposes her spiritual emptiness. Verse 16 to 18. He told her, you might even sound a bit unkind, don't you think? This conversation with this woman, she's engaging, and then he says, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. She's probably telling the truth. All her husbands may have died or been all divorced, so she has none. Jesus will not let her off the hook so easily. He drives a little bit deeper. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Jesus is now getting too close and personal. When you have these conversations with people, sometimes they, at that point, they run away. And most people are going to run away before they come to Jesus. When they hear the good news, they go, oh, I don't want to deal with this now. And you run and you think, oh, I'll think about it later. I, I stay away from that Christian at work because they 
produce almost anxiety in me. I have to think about God and eternity and my failings and my brokenness. And they sometimes stay away from Christians. Get used to it, Christians, if you're a Christian. It's not because you don't have the truth. It's just because when they're around you, they're thinking about God and eternity and their need of Jesus. I'll never forget a conversation I had with a guy called Andy. Picture Andy, he's a a homeless guy on the streets. He's skinny, he's scrawny, he's got a a thin guy with a long beard. That's where he catches his food. And he's got long hair, it's all grey. And he's wandering around like this, right? And we're uh, on the central coast with a youth group from Springwood Baptist Church many years ago. We took the mountains kids to the beach at Edelong, I think it was, around there somewhere. Maybe, um, no, Terrigal it was. And uh, the leaders, some of the other leaders and kids said to me, said, Ange, I was the youth pastor, said, there's this guy who keeps following our teenage girls around. And so I was, you know, saviour that I am. I went to save the girls. And uh, so I went up there, I met this guy. And we chatted for a little while. And, um, and he seemed so happy, he was joking and laughing. And then I, in a sense... Under the inspiration of God, is how I see it. I said, Andy, are you really happy? Oh, yeah, yeah, happy. No, no, Andy. Send all the teenage girls away. Are you really happy? And in a moment of truth, he said, no, I'm not. Look at me, he says. I'm miserable. I have nothing. I have nothing. I said, do you know any Christians, Andy? said, I used to go to a church sometimes. I would drop in from time to time. There's a pastor up here that I know. I said, Andy, Jesus can bring you meaning and satisfaction. Jesus could fill your life. But you need to get yourself around some other people, Christians who will love you and tell you about Jesus and pray with you, Andy. He didn't quite promise me that he would do that afterwards. See, his only chance of getting help is to admit that he wasn't happy and he needed a saviour. Sir, the woman said, uh, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. This guy's just told her about her whole family life, and she's moved the conversation to theology. Now, it may be just a diversion, or maybe she's thinking, well, this guy knows something. Let's talk about theology. I'm not quite sure. Probably a diversion here. And then Jesus explains true worship to her, point five. Woman, believe me, you're worried about which mountains you're going to worship on? Let me tell you something, he says. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Forget talking about mountains, he says to her. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Makes three points. Number one, the Jerusalem Temple and Mount Gerizim site will be done away with as definitive places of worship. It's not where you go, it's who you worship and in what spirit. It's different. Salvation does spring from the Jews. You Samaritans have got it wrong. Jesus is making that clear. They don't have the true message of the Bible. They says there a time is coming and is already here in the person of Jesus 
when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Friends, whenever the Bible talks about the hour is coming, we're talking about the death and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus that replaces temple worship with new spirit and truth worship. It has to be in spirit and in truth by those who now have the Holy Spirit within them, who understand the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, who have the truth of Jesus and his saving work. A new day is coming, says Jesus. Then in verse 25 and 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And you imagine this moment. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Samaritan woman, all your life you've been waiting for the Messiah. You're having a conversation with him right now. All your life you've been looking forward to the Messiah, the Saviour. I'm here standing in front of you. What a beautiful expression of love of the Saviour to a woman in the first century. Against all conventions, all expectations. Normally Jesus will not tell the other Jews that he's the Messiah. We get that until the end. Because if he tells them he's the Messiah, they want to make him king by force and create havoc amongst the Romans. Because he hasn't come for military victory, he's come for a spiritual victory. But with this woman, this outsider, do you want to know what Jesus thinks about women? There you have it. Loves, serves, honours, elevates, respects. So he came, the Bible says, Christ died for sins once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He is the one who erases our past, expunges it from the record, gives us a clean slate with God. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And his identification as the Messiah transforms the woman and the crowd, the men and women from her village. She seems to have gone, undergone a significant change. This one conversation has changed her. She has met the Messiah who can deal with her sin, her emptiness and life, and wipe away the tears, bringing a fountain of joy. There's more. Friends, when you get that message, I remember as a 15-year-old when I got that message, you couldn't stop me talking about Jesus. Hallelujah. When you first meet that Jesus and he's changed you and you're a child of God and he's met your need and he's filled that God-shaped vacuum, it just overflows into loving witness. She ran back to town. And let me say, new converts are often the best evangelists. We do pray for new converts because they have friends and contacts everywhere. You can't stop them. Everyone's saying, what happened to so-and-so? Did you hear about Johnny? Did you hear about Mary? Well, I heard they got religious or they, they met Jesus or something. The new, ev- the new converts are the best evangelists. Then leaving her jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. They're starting to learn. So when the Samaritans came to him, 
They urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. This is a revival meeting taking place. It's like coming to Norway and we don't go home. We go have a meal again. Man, the Messiah's in. No one's going home. Don't worry. Get the coffee. Come back in. Right? It's like the revivals in some of the, the colleges in America earlier this year. I don't know if the revivals or extended worship nights. They just kept singing and praying and preaching because there's something. The Messiah's here. Here, the Messiah's here. God, don't go, Jesus. Stay with us. Tell us more. We need to be men and women like that. God, I want to be in your word. Tell us more. Help us to see you more clearly, to share you more passionately. Show us more, Jesus. And because of his words, now they're hearing the message, not simply from the woman, but from Jesus, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Eyes opening up. Who is Jesus? the eyes of this woman. He is a saviour. He is a messiah. He is the one who can transform lives. Let me tell you about another woman. She's not a Matilda. She's not a soccer player. Not a netballer. But she's a runner. Sydney McLaughlin. She was a 21-year-old US hurdler who won Olympic gold in the 400-metre hurdles in Tokyo in 2021 running a world record time of 51.46. She wrote on her Instagram page on the day she was baptised, For 21 years I was running from the greatest gift I could ever receive, and by his grace I have been saved. I no longer live, but Christ in me. My past has been made clean because of my Lord and my Saviour Jesus Christ. Then after winning that medal at the Tokyo Olympics, she wrote this, It was an honour to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or I don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. And God feels that God-shaped vacuum. He releases you into loving Jesus and to speaking about his goodness and his grace and his mercy to a listening world. Oh, I wish I prayed that we could have had that during the FIFA Women's World Cup. Friends, through the eyes of the Samaritan woman, we see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Saviour. Let me ask you, are you empty today on live stream in this auditorium? Are you empty? Come to Christ, let him fill you, bring you living water, spiritual life. But let me say, are you a believer today? Now listen to the words of Jesus, because in 34 and 35, Jesus says this. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Friends, we've got to keep our eyes open all around us. Sadness, brokenness, the pursuit of new age, thinking, pursuit of new social and sexual ethics, whatever it happens to be. People are looking for something to find that ultimate satisfaction. We have the message of life. May God empower us to share that with others 